Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Julian here from the Dublin Story Slam. If this is your first episode of the podcast, you're very welcome. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Dublin Story Slam is an open mic storytelling night that takes place every month in Dublin City. Um, we invite members of the audience to get up and share true personal stories inspired by a different theme each month. This month we've chosen three brand new stories for you, all of them inspired by the theme Love Affair. We have stories of a dirty weekend. I haven't quite decided whether I would do it or not but I had booked the hotel we have a story of a love affair with a man and his pyjamas feck this I said to myself shivering in my t-shirt I went to the drawer and we also have a heartbreakingly beautiful love story I grinned because I loved him and I knew how lucky I was to be there with him and I thought to myself, life cannot possibly get any better than this day in Cairo. This is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. So February was an unusual month for us here in the Dublin Story Slam because for the first time ever, we had two Story Slams within the same month. Now, the very first one, um, we don't know if it was anything to do with the theme, but it sold out in eight hours. Now, the theme for that particular slam was sex. So, I don't know, maybe that had a little something to do with it. So what we're going to play for you in this episode is three stories that have been recorded over those two nights. Our first story comes from Catherine Brophy. Now, Catherine is no stranger to the Dublin Story Slam, uh, or even when we were the moth. Uh, she's a regular storyteller and tells these incredible stories, a lot of them based in a very different kind of Ireland, an Ireland from the 60s and the 70s and, and even in the 80s and 90s. And it's so fascinating each time to hear these stories because it's an Ireland that a lot of people today would not recognise. So... Catherine told this story and it was inspired by the theme sex. There's nothing particularly graphic in here uh, apart from the odd swear word, which was probably one of the most eloquently pronounced swear words we've ever had on the podcast. So there's no way we were going to take it out. Okay, so without further ado, here's Catherine Brophy. Thank you. I was 28 years of age before I lost my virginity. It wasn't through lack of desire. It wasn't through lack of opportunity. It was through lack of condoms. <laughs> virginity in the female is supposed to indicate a virtue and innocence and so on and so forth. For me, it indicated terror 
And I think it may have indicated terror for many other women of my generation, terror of getting pregnant. Um, I remember one time Oliver J. Flanagan stood up in the Doyle and announced to the nation that there was no sex in this country before television. And we all laughed. But there was a sense in which he was correct because, as several people have said tonight, nobody ever spoke about sex at all. You never heard anything at all about it. Ireland was a very different country. Married women would talk in whispers behind closed doors about pregnancy and childbirth, okay, but not actually about who did what with which where and to whom. <laughs> Single women would make jokes or innuendos, but you never shared with your girlfriends what you had done or what had been done to you. Um, and the only sex education, as Bridget has just said, we were told that boys had urges. No one ever explained what the urges were, nor did they suggest that we might have urges. But they did tell us that um, girls could be an occasion of sin for boys, and therefore it was our job to keep them, the urges, under control, uh, which was a fine sort of way of saying if you get raped, it's your own fault. Anyway, I went off to college, and I discovered that I did have urges, but due to the terror of getting pregnant, I kept my urges from the waist upwards, mostly. <laughs> because I knew if I got pregnant, I'd be thrown out of my family, where I was living at home at the time. I would certainly lose my job. I would probably have to go to England to have the baby adopted. And the best I could possibly hope for was a shotgun wedding. So um, I, became, I remained a virgin until I was 28, and then I met Pat. Pat was an Englishman, or sorry, he was an Irishman living in London, and he had come over to Dublin for the rugby. So it was around about this time of the year. And we met at a party, and he left me home, and we sucked the faces off one another. I had <laughs> beard, beard rash for days afterwards. He went back to London and he kept telephoning me and writing to me and telling me how wonderful I was and that was incredibly flattering. So I fell madly in love with this man. And then he phoned and suggested that for some weekend, I think it was the Whit weekend, that we should go away for the weekend. That meant a dirty weekend. <laughs> that meant sex. Ooh, I didn't quite know what to do. I was all of a dither. So I had a conversation with my friend, Mairead, because I knew Mairead had done it <laughs> with the deep sea diver. <laughs> and she said to me, you have to do it. You can't go back to God unopened, she said. And if you like, I'll lend you my new coat that I've just bought in London. She bought this beautiful tapestry coat with a hood that looked much better on me than it did on her. <laughs> so I told my parents that myself and Mairead were going down to Kinsale for some sort of um, an event for the weekend. And, you know, I'd be off and it'd be grand. So they were convinced I was going off with Mairead. 
and I got into my little Volkswagen. I drove out to Maraid. I got the lovely coat, and I went out to the airport. I picked up Pat. We went down to Wexford. I had, hadn't quite decided whether I would do it or not, but I had booked the hotel. And I had got the name of the doctor that would give you the pill with no questions asked. <laughs> so anyway, we landed out of the hotel, the Ferry Carrick Hotel on the Slaney River, and it had um, one of those doors that go round and round. And we went in, and as you go in, the reception is on the right-hand right side, or was then, and then there was a big lounge looking over the river. And as I walked through the door, who should I see drinking tea but my father and mother? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I went right round the door and out again. <laughs> and I was standing in the car park going, oh, Jesus, what do I do? Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And then I remembered the coat. I knew they hadn't seen it. So I put on the coat, the tapestry coat, and put it up the hood <laughs> and went through the door and sidled over, <laughs> pretending to look at the artwork <laughs> to where Pat was doing the signing of the register stuff. And I said, um, I'm just going to the toilet. And I sidled into the ladies' toilet. And I sat down in the cubicle. And I thought, well, like, what are they doing? Why are they here? Why are they here? And then I remembered my father had said he wanted to go down to the Salty Islands to photograph the birds. Fuck. <laughs> so then I think, well, how long do I wait here? I mean, how do I, what's going to happen? And I decided... I'll write a little note to Pat. I give it to, I knew there was another woman there. I'd give it to her and ask her to give it to him and he could check out my parents. And just as I was about to open the door, somebody came in. Yes, you're right. It was my mother. And she's, I could hear her talking to the other woman. I could hear her peeing. I could hear her flushing. And, oh, she said, what am I going to do? Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And anyway, she eventually went out and said, Okay, I'll write the little note. But the other woman had gone at this stage. I'm thinking, oh, what, what do I do now? So I wait. I said, I'll wait now until somebody else comes in. The door opened. <laughs> and a voice said, Catherine? It was my mother. I said, oh, God. Oh, what do I do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then I went, is there anyone here called Catherine? I went, oh, she doesn't realise it's me. So I put on my best fake American accent and said... <laughs> said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, your husband is outside. He's very worried about you. Are you all right? I said, gee, I got a bellyache. <laughs> <laughs> and off she went. And I, then I was sitting there knowing, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And eventually... Pat opened the door and went, Catherine, and I told him what had happened. He thought it was hysterically funny. <laughs> I didn't. But anyway, he checked and they had gone. My parents had gone. So we went to, up to the room. We went to bed. We had sex. It was lovely. We spent the entire weekend having as much sex as is humanly possible between two people. <laughs> and I learned something very interesting. I was not in love. He was grand in the bed. <laughs> but he was bloody boring otherwise. 
I'm very grateful to him for making the first experience very pleasant indeed. And I've never looked back since. Thank you. That was Catherine Brophy there with a beautiful, uh, if not tension-filled, story uh, of, of popping your cherry. One of the funny things that happened during that story was when she mentioned the Ferry Carrig Hotel. I don't know whether this is an Ireland thing, but straight away it was like, oh yeah, I know it that well. That was, that was the hotel that myself and my family, the first time we ever went on a family holiday together. We stayed in that hotel only last year. And it is a beautiful, beautiful place. So no better place could I imagine for going away for a romantic weekend. Okay, on to our next story. Uh, Arthur Sheridan is, uh, has won one of our story slams before. And that time he told a story about a watch. And it's one of those amazing gifts where you're slowly drawn into the story and you're wondering, where exactly is it going to go? You know, where's the big dramatic arc in this and the big reveal and all these kind of different techniques that great stories contain? And it's nothing like that. It's always about the really small, everyday objects, but that you suddenly find the drama and the comedy and the tragedy in them. So this is Arthur Sheridan talking about his very favourite piece of clothing. Pyjamas. I never liked them. There were things me ma made me wear when I was young, or something that had to be worn in hospitals. They were portrayed as wimpy and a macho by films and the media. Even the comics of my youth had a go with them. I remember as a teenager sniggering when a friend of mine answered the door in them. Turns out his ma made him wear them. <laughs> it came as a great disappointment when I found out I was getting pyjamas for Christmas. You have to look surprised, she said. I don't want to know I told you. Her ma had always bought me socks. Something I could never have too many of. Why break the habit of a lifetime? Why pyjamas? Well, it turns out she'd bought them for one of her sons. But he'd found out and said he didn't want them. None of our sons wanted them. So my socks went to someone else and I was stuck with jammies. And I couldn't palm them off on anyone else because everybody knew the story that went with them. You're very hard to buy for, her mother said to me. I looked high and low for something and then I saw these in Dawn's. I knew you'd like them. <laughs> you feckin' lawyer, I said to her. Now the sock queen had never had any problems before. She looked really, really hurt. I'd always been looking for ways to get in with our mother, and now I'd blown me chance. If you're going to say something, say nothing.
That a dog was being me dad's motto with his mother in law. And it kept him in good stead. We took them home anyway, put them in a drawer, and there they stayed for weeks. Herself and myself sometimes staring at them, wondering what we do with them. Then it came, the freezing cold February. Even the double glaze and central heating and continental quilt couldn't save me from the cold. Feck this, I said to myself, shivering in my T-shirt. I went to the drawer. You're not going to wear them, she sniggered as I took them out. It's feckin' freezing, I said, making excuses. She burst into a fit of giggles when she saw the mummy, but I was too cold to care. A few freezing nights later, she remarked on how cold it was. I says I didn't know this. <laughs> See now, was I was wearing me lovely warm pajamas. <laughs> I should have known something was up the next night when she went to bed early. She usually let me to go up first, to warm up the bed. <laughs> she was in bed with the covers pulled up to her neck, pretending to be asleep when I entered the room. I couldn't find me PJs anywhere. <laughs> I didn't want to ask her where they were, because first, I'd have to listen to her pretending I'd woke her up. <laughs> and then she'd say, the way you left them. A place I can never find. When I pulled the covers back, I saw she was wearing them. You're not going to take them off me now, she said. I thought about it for a little while. <laughs> but knowing she wouldn't give up without a huge struggle that had rip up and completely destroyed the pyjamas, <laughs> I decided it was too much bother. Now every night's the same. I just can't keep her away from them. I was up with our mother a few days later. The weather was still freezing. She was huddled over the fire with a cigarette. I brought her over a hot cup of tea. Thank you, she said. I saw a second chance. <laughs> if you're going to say something, say something positive, I thought. <laughs> Lovely and warm, them pyjamas. Yeah, she smiled. When you get to wear them. <laughs> she knew about me problem. <laughs> they were a great present, I said. 
I'm sorry. That's okay, she smiled. Maybe I'll get you another pair next year. <laughs> yeah, I nodded. If I'm lucky, I could feel a thaw in the weather. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That was Arthur Sheridan uh, there and. I could listen to that man talk all day. There's a musicality to his voice that just belongs on the airwaves. And now for our last story of the podcast. You might want to grab the hankies for this one. It is a particularly sad and poignant and tragic story, but it's also one that's just so filled with joy and tenderness and it just makes you want to reach out and, and, and hug someone because this story is all about appreciating the ones around you. This is Becky Long. Um, sometimes I think I went away with him when he died. And Fergal Keyes did die, even though I still refuse to believe it. I still refuse to believe that a life like his could narrow down to the point at which it ended. But this is not a story about death. This is a story about life about the life he lived and the life he gave to me. And it's the story of my second chance. Um, I was early for our first date. It takes precisely 48 minutes, according to Google Maps, to travel from Wexford Town to Gorey, but I made it in 42, because he dared me that I wouldn't go that fast. Um, we decided to meet halfway between Wexford and Bray, just so you know I'm not from Gorey. This is a very important <laughs> point. And we picked the bookshop cafe because it combined two of my favourite things, coffee and secondhand books. And I almost forgot that I was waiting for a date because I was too busy browsing. And when he walked in, I was actually reading. I'd completely forgotten that I was supposed to be waiting for my date to arrive. So when I realised he was standing in front of me, he could have been there for about a minute or more. And I looked up and he was smiling at me. And I think he had the measure of me even then. And all I could do was smile back at him. And I couldn't stop looking at him, at the darkness of his hair and how it curled at the nape of his neck, at the, the blueness of his eyes. And I called them his blue sky eyes 
and for all the arguments we had about the semantics of that, I would never call them his sky blue eyes. <laughs> I couldn't, everything about him, the way his hands moved as he talked, the way I'm doing it now, the flash of his throat as he breathed, I just couldn't take my eyes off him. And I remember thinking that there was nothing I couldn't tell him. I'd never run out of things to say to him. And as I was already falling in love with him, maybe seven and a half minutes into the date, <laughs> he, he told me that he had cystic fibrosis. And I knew what that meant. And I knew what it could mean. And when I looked back at him and thanked him for telling me, I was more grateful than I could ever have imagined at that moment. Because I figured that if he'd had the courage to tell me, that meant that he might want to see me again. And that this might be the start of something. And that's what I wanted. I knew it then and there. And as the coffee shop emptied around us, I realized that this was the second time that we'd met. Years before, in first year in Trinity, that, that wonderful hallowed place in the arts block, a mutual friend had casually introduced us as though it was something offhand and normal. And I remember looking at him then in the darkness of his hair and the blueness of his eyes and the strength and the purpose in the way he stood. That way, just this look on his face that said that he knew the world didn't owe, didn't owe him anything, nothing at all. And I remember thinking that if I was the person that I wanted to be, that could have been the start of something. But I was neck deep in my shy phase and I was wondering if I'd ever find anywhere that I felt like I belonged. And I walked away. So all of those years later, here we were in Gory, of all places. <laughs> something that neither of us had been looking for, if dreaming of something is the same thing as looking for it. And later, back in my car, I wanted so badly for him to kiss me. And I sat there, it must have been like a neon sign flashing above my head. And I, will, I can still hear him say it now in that South Dublin accent that I loved to tease him about, even though he was from Bray. Uh, <laughs> any chance of a cheeky shift? And uh, I didn't need to give him a second chance for that. And that was the day the Fergal Keys changed my life. That was the beginning of my second chance. And I have so many memories. Some I've been telling every day to anyone who listens since the day that he died. And some I'll keep to myself for always. I remember telling him once that to be with someone you don't have to give up everything of you. That there's a part of you that will always be yours and yours alone. And I promised him that I would keep that part of him safe. And that I would never ask him for it. Just as I knew he'd never asked me for the part of me that was only mine. And he was surprised by that. I think he didn't realise that love didn't have to be a challenge or a loss. There are some things that I will keep to myself always. I will take them with me when I go to that place where he is and he'll know that I kept them safe. Because some things you keep to yourself, but some things light up the world when you say them out loud. And we took a trip to Galway in August 2017 before the storm came and everything changed. And he took me to Cairo on that last day. And it was like we made a world for ourselves, a world outside of time, and it was glorious. But it was August, which means that the sea in Galway is really fucking cold. <laughs> so we got to the beach, and it was like nobody else had ever been to this beach before. It was just perfect. And it was like it was waiting for us. The sea seemed to be calling to us. And he couldn't wait to get into the, into the water. He stripped down right to his shorts, and he just 
dove straight in. And to, to be fair to me, I made it in up to my knees before my resolve completely deserted me and I ran back out and I found a rock that was warm and I sat there and shivered and watched him as he went deeper and deeper in. And when he got up to his chest, he just ducked under completely and he came up out of the sea like a lion roaring. It was just the most amazing thing that I had ever seen and water glistening on his dark hair and on his chest and he threw his arms up to the sky in defiance and in joy and it was magnificent this wild pure look of happiness on his face and I remember thinking that I had never seen any I'd never seen anyone look so alive as he did in that moment and that this was one of the most important things that I would ever see and I grinned because I loved him and I knew how lucky I was to be there with him and I thought to myself life cannot possibly get any better than this day in Cairo and it did in ways that I have no words to explain but it got harder and brighter and darker and deeper and higher and we made a life together that we were really so proud of. I remember one time in Tesco in Bray, <laughs> Tesco in Bray <laughs> and we had done the shopping and he was sitting in the car and he was tired, like he was bone tired and tired of knowing that no matter how well he lived the life his body was forcing him to live, he couldn't change it. And he sat there and he was so handsome and he had this wry, fey, defiant, angry look in his face and he just turned to me and said, I bet you never thought you'd spend your weekends this way. And I just looked at him and I kissed him. And when I said that wherever he was was where I wanted to be, even if that was Tesco and Bray, <laughs> I meant it. That was the magic and the truth and the joy and the wonder of him. And sometimes I get caught up in that wonder. I think to myself, how could this be real? How is this not a story that I'm making up? This, is, this isn't a dream that I'm dreaming. This man who can hear me say, tell him how beautiful he was and look at me and say, that beauty has to be in you. Otherwise, how can you recognize it in me? Every day, every single day, he got up and he decided to live his life as best he could, no matter how much it cost him or how hard it was. And ever since the day he died, I've been struggling to stay in this world because I don't want to be here without him. If somebody told me that there was a door that I could walk through and he'd be on the other side of it, I'd go. I'd walk straight out of this world and I wouldn't look back. And I think I'll be looking for that door for the rest of my life. And he would understand that. But he also knew so much about living with things that he couldn't change. And every day, every single day, he made my life better just by being himself just by getting up and keeping on going. So how can I do anything else? How can anyone do anything else? He changed my life. He was my second chance. So as hard and as cruel as the days conspired to be for us, that year and nine months of my second chance were the best days of my life because of him. And everything from now on is because of him. I will spend the rest of my life being grateful that I had the chance to love and be loved by Fergal Keys. So do all you do out of love, because he did. And that's what we should all do. Live as best you can, bear what you can and ask for help with the rest. That's what we do, that's how we live. And take every second chance that comes your way. I'm still living my second chance because I love Fergal Keys. Then and now and always.
that was Rebecca Long, or, or Becky. Um, Becky was the very first person to sign up to tell a story uh, when we announced the second theme of the month was going to be Second Chance. And incredibly, Fergal uh, only passed away in December, as in not even three months ago. So to be able to get up and to share a story like that, that was told with incredible passion and love but at the same time amazing strength and control just shows you that not only what kind of person Becky herself is but the the impact that that relationship has had on her so a huge thank you to Becky Long for sharing that story That's it from the Dublin Story Slam podcast. We will be back next month with three brand new stories. Um, people have been asking us about can we put on more story slams because there does seem to be, well, I mean, I know there's a huge appetite for them, but at the same time, we want to let the storytellers breathe and, you know, kind of come up with new stories. So we're not going to be doing one every week, but we might look at trying to squeeze a few more in during the year. If you want to come along to the next ones, because as I said, they do sell out, make sure to join the mailing list. Head over to www thedublinstoryslam.com just scroll down maybe halfway down the page and you will see a big massive button says join our mailing list so click on that and then you will be the first person to know when tickets go on sale thanks a million for listening we'll talk to you next month bye What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.